Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. I don't know what they're smoking over there at Princeton. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt, but to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree which I just fumbled over We do the show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Go ahead and hit up our swag shop. That's eplex.store. Um, you might want to, maybe HK could stand up and show off the reason you should hit up that oh, yeah. swag shop. This is a limited edition pink HK Perrin shirt. Can we see the shoulder? HK Perrin can be like not looking over your shoulder, but looking at you from your shoulder. And uh, there's other great stuff on there. There's a great one about uh, Jesus and Jordan Jordan Peterson on there that's pretty funny. And then there's a picture of Jordan Peterson that right under it, it just says Big Pharma. And that's his name. He's big. <laughs> like, what's up, Big Pharma? <clears throat> anyway, I'm producer Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. And I'm HK Perrin. You can find me on Twitter at HK Perrin. And you can find me right here on Twitch, as I'm known in the chat room, as Silfweed. That's also my gaming channel, so if you want to watch me play games, you can go follow that on Twitch. Fan-fucking-tastic. So, I've been waiting to do this guy, Jonathan Pago, Jonathan Pagiao, just because it's annoying, but the main reason I want to do him is because of the fucking... I mean, I don't want to do him. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. The main reason I wanted to do an episode about him is because apparently um, he didn't think it was ridiculous 
and he thought it was unfair that people on Twitter were making fun of him for believing in real demons. Not like the <laughs> demons that haunt your soul metaphorically, because we all have that. I probably drink too much. HK probably works too hard. Um, historian Matt Sometimes. probably just is just too big a bum. Um, the media wench probably smokes too weed, too much weed, but it's a good thing she does not listen to the intellectual Dollar Tree, and she did not hear me say that. <laughs> but he doesn't mean those kinds of demons. He like means like rar. <laughs> he means like a literal motherfucking demon, and he believes in them. So, like the the red guys with the pointy tails and the and the fangs and horns. Yeah, not even the BS demons. That's right. He means real. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, or like some kind of like, like, in like spiritual embodiment of evil, right? That kind of demon. <laughs> yeah, that's very silly. Um, it's like being afraid of the boogeyman to me. I mean, I I know that some people like wholeheartedly believe in that stuff, but to me, it just seems incredibly childish to actually believe in that well here he is on rebel wisdom um, months after rebel wisdom claimed they were shutting down shop and they're gonna this is part one there's two parts of this we're not gonna watch we're not gonna get through much of this i have a feeling we're gonna be pausing this a lot um <laughs> this is him and some guy named john ver verveke and they're gonna talk about curiosity and wonder and hopefully demons come up <laughs> I thought it would be nice to start with demons, David. Demons. It's just sort of a sense of what maybe. Isn't it great that they can have this conversation? Isn't it great that we can have this conversation about them having this conversation? Also, are they in like, are they in a fake like a fake coffee house that somebody built in their living room, or are they at a real coffee house and everybody saw them show up and was like, "Gotta go." <laughs> uh, I think either of those is equally likely. It's like, you know, that problem of the Nazi bar. This is the problem of the sense-making cafe. <laughs> <laughs> you let one sense maker in and all of a sudden you have a sense-making cafe. <laughs> That's right. Because they're going to bring their friends and nobody's going to want to listen to a fucking thing they have to say. They buy one coffee and then they sit there and talk for five hours. A couple of days that we can kind of tap, tap into and yeah. get through as much as we can. But maybe who would like to start? I can start because I'm the, f I'm the one who would became learned of John in a weird kind of funny way because I I started I did this thing about zombies and I was addressing zombies in a very similar way as him and then someone said have you heard of John Verveke he did this thing about zombies and so I listened to him you had written a, a little book and then there was also some videos yeah. and it was exactly what I was trying to get to and I thought this is wonderful like he really has this insight and then I thought oh wait a minute he's he's worked with Jordan Peterson you know and, and also, oh he's a maniac like me and, uh, <laughs> I just felt like he gave a great vocabulary for the things that I wanted to talk about because sometimes I have these intuitions and there aren't always words or words are sometimes too imprecise and so it's slippery but what one of the things that John has done is that he's really created a powerful vocabulary to talk about the things. And so when I don't know what what to say, sometimes I'll just reach it. I'll like have my little John Ravicki dictionary, <laughs> like reach into that dictionary and and pull in a word. So that's one. This is really isn't it great that we're having this conversation? Like right right <laughs> at the jump, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if this is like if he's complimenting him or if he's insulting him. If if I was sitting down with some like for somebody for a conversation and I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes I'm looking for like sometimes I got some crazy idea going on and there's actually no words for it because it's actually fucking insane. So what I do is look for a friend of Jordan Peterson and hopefully pull from their vocabulary to talk about it. That would be the most insulting thing I ever fucking say to somebody, right? (laughs) Yep. I would be extremely insulted if this guy was like, you know, sometimes I just like there's no word. So I'll just use the gobbledygook you spew and it works. (laughs) We're not going to get through much of this at all. That's what at the outset attracted me to John, but... Then after that, there's so much more. I think that what John's doing in terms of consciousness and bringing the importance of consciousness to the fore, this notion of relevance and relevance realization, I think it's really falling into the right moment in so many ways, right? There are all these fields that are culminating towards that, and I think that his work is crucial to, to, to make sense of everything. So as much oh. as the technology field with the question of AI or the, the question of, of intelligent machines, but then also the whole problem of social media, the whole problem of the media landscape as being related to attention, you realize that understanding relevance and understanding how relevance works and the manner in which we engage with the world is so important for us to make sense of what's going on and to not just be tools in this machine cog, the, the cog and this machine that's running and we don't know what's going on. You know, we, get, we go down our phone and we, we just fall into these, these framed uh, methods of getting your attention. We don't realize that we're just playing. By framed methods of getting your attention, does he mean that there's like something outside of the screen on your phone, like a picture frame? Or does he mean like the <laughs> metaphorical framing? I think he means a metaphorical framing. Like he's, he's just describing like, isn't it great that we can sit here and talk about nonsense instead of being on our phones and social media? Right. It's like, sure. Sure. I mean, that's, that, that is what a, <laughs> that is what a pub is for. Game, <laughs> And we're just feeding the system. And so I think that one of the things that John is offering is a, is a mechanism for us to, to be able to step back and understand what that is. So that's one. And then ultimately, I would say in terms of his approach to conversation and his just genuine openness, you know, like all the conversations we've had and we've acknowledged our differences. We know where we stand and we kind of laugh about it. We smile about it. Um, But then we always go further in and and deeper into into the conversations. And so and so I think that he's well, they are fucking like this is part one of two and it's an hour and 24 minutes. So. You are going to go Good deep Lord. into something if you're going to talk for three fucking hours with somebody. God damn. Uh, I, I have never, I have never been uh, more impressed by any skill than I am at everyone even tangentially related to the IDW, ID, yeah, the IDW, than their skill to go hours and hours of talking without saying a goddamn thing or if they do say anything like true it's like obvious and if they say anything (laughs) new it's ridiculous right (laughs) yep (laughs) but mostly they don't say anything yeah yeah they say as little as possible in as many words as possible it's like it's like if you're trying to do a book report but you haven't read the book (laughs) (laughs) they're trying to do that but with life it's been such a precious conversation partner and bringing my own ideas 
you know, because sometimes it won't happen in the conversation. Like we have the conversation, we kind of test each other, we push each other a bit, and then I go away, and then I. That's probably the best part. Later, that okay, yeah, this has changed, <laughs> or this this way of thinking has refined itself at least, and so so yeah, so I, I I'm really happy that he that I've I'm, I'm been really excited to see the attention that he's been getting more and more. And literally three minutes and 30 seconds of isn't it great that we're about to have this conversation. <laughs> and you know what? It is so great that they're about to have this conversation. I'm glad that you're here with me to have <laughs> some kind of disjointed <laughs> conversation about their overlever post conversation. <laughs> You know, I'm glad that we can converse about how glad we are about having that conversation. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> actually thinking deeply about what you just said. And I, um, I'm, I'm a, I appreciate what you bring to the, the virtual table here. And I feel like sometimes you challenge me to uh, be more thankful, actually, that you and I are able to have a conversation <laughs> about the conversation that we're having about these people's conversation. Honestly, it sounds like we're in some sort of like, uh, like a, a drug rehab conversation. <laughs> Except the people in the drug rehab eventually get to the point. <laughs> yeah. And also, this isn't a Jordan Peterson video. Conversation with, also with, with Paul, uh, Paul Vanderclay. I keep having the V wanting to go to Verbaker Vanderclay. With Paul Vanderclay and all these other people, and you as well, and... All this, this little, what do they call the little corner of the internet that's or whatever. Yeah. I think that that's been wonderful uh, for us, but then also for the people that have been, have found some threads and some, you know, some crumbs to, to kind of sustain them on their journey. So, yeah. So uh, I, I saw Jonathan talking about me um, and talking about the book I wrote with, uh, with Christopher Mastapietro and Philip Misovic. And, uh, and so I reached out to him, and then uh, he invited me pretty soon thereafter to uh, come on his channel and uh, had our first discussion. And, and, and uh, I remember after the discussion, the discussion was really powerful. And then I remember afterwards, when the, when the video ended, I realized, oh, I'm, I'm missing Jonathan. Like, <laughs> I, I really, really like uh, being in his presence and interacting with him. Um, so... Uh, this is starting to get romantic. I'm happy for them. Of Dialogos <laughs> is that I mean, could you imagine... I mean, if they, if they found each other, what are the odds that these... I, I can already tell this other guy is fucking insufferable, too. So what are the odds, really, that these two... <laughs> These two souls pass cross paths in the in in the deep deepest darkest. Glad to be having a conversation. Part of the internet, you know, I'm happy for them too. People can get to a place they couldn't get to on their own. That doesn't mean they come to agreement. They they had a meet cute, but it took 17 hours. <laughs> That's the mistake to think. No, we we failed because we don't agree on all these propositions. Um, uh, I, 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 I think that's the, the incorrect goal, but I always feel that I, I do that when, uh, uh, when I'm in discussion with Jonathan. Jonathan makes, um, he makes good-hearted and good critiques of my work, and I appreciate them. This is not me being defensive at all. Jonathan will say something like, well, John seems to be overly individualistic in how he's understanding spirituality. He's leaving out the ecclesia, and I'll go, that's really good. 
that's really good, and I'll take it to heart. I might not respond the way he does, wanted me to respond, but I'll take it to heart, and I'll say, no, that's an important point. And that, that always happens. That's an important point because he didn't say I'm wrong. Here, like, right, he's, you just overemphasize, you're just too right about this one thing over here, and you're not, <laughs> you're about 82% right about this other thing, but luckily you have a few extra percentage points of like over 100% right that you were over here, so if you could just move those over to this other place where you were also mostly right, I'd be really happy. And isn't it, aren't you glad that we were able to talk about this in such a civil way? <laughs> Yeah, you should be able to handle any type of criticism, not just criticism that you like. Well, what about this? And I'll go, mm, that's something missing from my thought, or that's a way in which I've misapprehended or even mistaken something. And so... Misapprehended? Uh, Jonathan does it in a way that's always done with affection and respect, so he's committed as much... For me, I sense this in him, uh, this is how it is for me. The being in right relationship with Jonathan is more important than being right about something, right? Um, and um, I feel that I feel that in, in with him too. And yeah, you know what? If this is the only kind of conversation you ever really have and you ever really enjoy, if people come at you in, at, on Twitter and say that some of what you're saying is absolute balderdash, you're going to be very upset about that, right? <laughs> I'm I'm uh I'm wondering how he would respond to someone with some actual criticism saying, "Hey, in this part, you said this and you're just fucking wrong." Mm. That happened to him on Twitter because in at some point in this very very long discussion, he does say that he believes in literal demons and so people on Twitter <laughs> ranging from the very nice fellows over at Guru's Pod to maybe someone like me. We're telling him that that's crazy, that that's a supernatural claim and that, you know, you have to like bring, you have to bring it. And he got, he was very defensive and blocked a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, it, I would be very embarrassed too, if I had a belief that was that stupid. I would. Yeah, I don't know. I can't put myself like if, but if if you believed it and you were like having these kinds of deep intellectual conversations and stuff, and there were people praising you for it, would you even know that what you believed was crazy, or would you just think everybody was being a big old meanie to you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like hard to put yourself into yeah. that mind space. Yeah, because they would, and maybe I do have a belief that that that's that stupid, and I just don't know it yet. But <laughs> I will strive to not have that reaction. If someone tells me about it, what he was telling, he was replying to people saying, oh, well, you're just overly, you're just materialists. And he doesn't mean like you have a coach handbag. He means that like yeah. you believe in the material world and other a lot of people replied and said, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is accurate. Like even, even if you're not fully a materialist, like even if you leave it, uh, leave open the possibility of things outside the material world. You still shouldn't believe them without evidence, especially not, <laughs> especially not demons. I mean, that's like some body thetan shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's all a body thetan is. Is like a specific kind of Elrond demon. <laughs> his work, um, uh, his work on symbolism. 
I, I say this and people don't get it. And I say it half jokingly, but only half jokingly. People don't realize how radical Jonathan is, I, I think. I think, uh, like, J Jonathan is, right, the, the, the what he... He rides a skateboard. Is, That's super radical. To get people... Snowboard in the winter. I hope you take this as a compliment. You remind me of Goethe in that you're trying to get people to... to I don't know if he actually rides a skateboard. ...the world. That isn't just a way of having new propositions, but a, like seeing the world like in, in this fundamentally different and profound way, and that um, and that you actually have the courage and the integrity as a believing Christian to nevertheless mount a criticism of aspects of Christianity because of how they have lost the symbolic sense. And I admire that about you. Um, and, and again, you don't do that in any, with any hostility, but you do it with. I think it's so admirable that as a Christian, you could disagree with something your church is doing. Like, what Christian doesn't? And it's, uh, and just to be clear, it's not the part where they believe in like supernatural beings. Point <laughs> about um, symbolism uh, and the way symbolism happens, as you put it. I think this is a really profound thing. And I, and I, I think it, it intersects with the work I do on relevance, realization, and sacredness, and meaning in, in a really, really um, mutually beneficial fashion. Um, and, um, and then, as I said... Um, David Fuller awkwardly walk, gets up and walks away, mumbling to himself something about being a third wheel. <laughs> I'm going to use an adjective, and I hope people don't hear it the wrong way. There's a sweetness to Jonathan's presence. Like, that's what, one of the things I missed. Like, Jesus. I, I, I'm not talking with him. That, that kind of goes away. And it's like, it's like, it's like if, if. Just put a ring on it, bro. There's beautiful music Seriously. playing and somebody shuts it off. And you sort of, oh, that, that had been sort of, it had sort of gone into the warp and woof of my mind without my realizing it. So like, it was funny at first, but now I'm actually wondering, like, is he just, like, actually attracted to this guy? I'm uncomfortable, and I'm not even there. <laughs> Poor David Fuller. <laughs> he didn't even get to be a wingman or anything. There's a lyricist. Yeah, we're like, um, I really we're like extra third wheels just watching. Because <laughs> Chris is like that too. The, the lyricism is is beautiful. Um, I, you know, and like I said, I, I Jonathan's ability. Um, you know, just like a car has a third wheel and a second third wheel. I aspire, um, I hope that's the right word, I aspire to follow Socrates in ultimately a neoplatonic way of life. Uh, and, and, and Jonathan is... This interaction don't feel so platonic to me. But I think it's still a legitimate form of neoplatonism. And I think Christian neoplatonism is a very good thing, so I'm not trying to do a backhanded insult. But Jonathan lives it. And um, I admire that. He's like, if I was doing like a slick insult, I wouldn't be able to do that actually because I'm not slick. So, just don't think I'm doing that. I'm not that slick, all right? And so that's also why I like engaging with him. Yeah, I've got so many kind of jumping off points with what you guys have just said, but I just wondered if you wanted to respond to I mean, He's like, are you, do you, do you play together? I mean, I, I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect what you said, and I, I, I feel, I take it definitely to heart. And, uh, and I think that that's something I mean, I do see that we we're also. I didn't expect what you said, and gosh, I'm just that's something that just so choked up. I feel the same way. When the first time we met, we knew it instinctively that mm -hmm. that was happening, and then it's just a question of letting the, 
you know, just letting the the, the, the vase getting filled with 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 time and yeah. anecdotes, and so so I, I. We should write some fanfic about these two. Yeah, there's so many different jumping off points. You <laughs> mentioned this sort of this this corner of the internet, yes. which I think is probably a good way of sort of framing it. And lots of people are giving it different names, sort of the liminal web or the yeah. sense making web, or lots of different kind of. But the, the broadest frame, and I'd love to get your definitions on this as well. It's all full of shit and overly verbose. Um, what other what other like definitions, descriptions would we use for that? Delusions of grandeur web. <clears throat> uh, language salad. But this is also a little bit more like Match.com. Is what Jim Rutt has called the <laughs> what's next space. Mm-hmm. This sort of sense of there's a lot of common themes. One is like the whole left by religion. The what's like next sort of space? Questions of purpose and meaning that are not similar really to the now space. Modern society, and that sort of seems to be fueling. If these guys, oh no, the these guys ever saw a Russell J. Gold <laughs> video, it would blow their fucking minds. The with those deeper <laughs> questions. Um, and how would you, yeah, how would you frame like the, the or delineate this kind of wider? space or this wider conversation i mean i think that's right i mean i i, I worry that there's a bias because I, I do think the meaning crisis is is a thing and it's important and i do think it's kind of that whole and we have different names for it but i think we're talking about how far are we into the the video right now 10 minutes 45 seconds and they haven't said a fucking thing well they've flirted and they've talked about how great it is to have a conversation <laughs> It's like when Harry met yep. Sally, it's, except they're not going to have that awesome uh, faking an orgasm at, at that dinner scene. <laughs> <laughs> it really is like remarkably impressive how much these people can say, how much they can talk, I should say, without saying anything. Like it's it's actually like it. It's a real talent, and I am impressed. One of the things I would add to that is not only the matter, but the manner. Uh, one of the things that seems to typify this corner of, uh, uh, of the internet is um, that we're tr- trying to move into what I call dialogos, what I, what, I, what I talked about before, when, you know, how Jonathan and I interact, and how it takes on a life of its own because we're both seeking mutual movement into a form. It would be akin to if you, if you spent like an hour and a half in the kitchen, right? And you dirtied up like 15 different dishes. And finally, it, it comes time to serve dinner. And you just walk out with eight fucking empty plates. Like, here you go. <laughs> or, or a platter with a grape on it. Realization. <laughs> and, 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 and then that is in the service of right relationship, right? And that's a fundamentally different ethos than... Um, uh, you know, what you see through most of social media, a lot of uh, the internet. So I think that manner, uh, uh, which I, like I, I, I give the name to, Dialogos, I'm trying to pick up on it, many different things with that term. Um, um, I, I think that is also an important thing. There's a commitment to that. And there's also a commitment to, and this is something neither, I guess it's part of the manner. I think what we're also doing and, and I'm trying to reuse uh, re- a, a term that uh, you know, I got from Christianity. I, I don't think it's insulting to Christianity the way I'm using it. I think there's an attempt to rediscover and revalue fellowship as something distinct 
from specific friendship or just uh, being a member of a team or part of a corporation or whatever, right? And so there's, because one of the things people often say, especially in more intense versions of like dialectic and ideologos is they'll say, I didn't know that this kind of intimacy existed. It's neither sexual nor familiar nor friendship, but it's important and I've always been craving it. They say that. And so I think another thing this corner of the internet is- Are these people on Molly? Um, I think maybe he's just not getting along with his SO, so he's like, he's trying to maybe get some, uh, close time somewhere else. <clears throat> this is this, it's this idea that these, and Eric Weinstein does this a lot too. He's like, oh, we have these conversations. We have this special way of interacting that other people probably can't replicate it's not sexual not sexual but it gives you that feeling you know and like you're about to come it's just that yeah this is just <laughs> this is this is awful man this is like um i can't i can't it's not even this is so far beyond the isn't it great that we're having this conversation it's like we've created We've created a greater intellectual love. We've, edging. Cre we've created a greater love than any other love that has ever. It's like a fucking love song, right? Love, there's so <laughs> love songs talk about how uh, we have the greatest love that fucking ever existed, but this isn't even a song, and songs end. <laughs> Dave, this is intellectual edging. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> to do is to bring back into prominence getting right up to your point right up there but you never actually get there and i don't see that as a a, a value or even something that's being explored and um so for me I, I use this metaphor of you know we're trying to get the, the courtyard rather than the courtroom uh, where we're trying to get people who what? To sit together and talk deeply and converse and participate in a conversation that takes on a life of its own, it's transformative, and they experience fellowship. Uh, because, of course, that is also something. That's what you would do at, like, a school. 150. You're not friends with 100. Like, if you want to do that, go to college. Or like a corporate retreat where, like, you don't want to be at the corporate retreat. Everybody does, does, does the trust fall and shit. I'm getting big, like, corporate retreat, retreat vibes from this. I'm getting, like, they want, they want it. They desperately want what they're doing to be, like, academic. But it's just not. Like, they're not knowledgeable enough to talk about the kind of things that you would in academia. So, like, they're not going to go to academia. Because, like, <laughs> the kind of people making fun of them on Twitter are academia <laughs> uh it's a mix but yes yes there are <clears throat> there were several <laughs> there were several people when you checked the profile of people who were making fun of him it was like professor of philosophy at such and such a place <laughs> <clears throat> grad students more mo had mo a lot of grad students in there making fun of them and just a lot of people i'm more or less familiar with on on twitter making fun of them it runs the gamut you don't need to be an academic to make fun of these people but it helps but it all you could also just be a troll and make fun of these people <laughs> do it but you're not they're not just people that you're living with you right there we, we we i would argue we evolved to, to be in fellowship and i do think the ecclesia the church was a place that made that 
I hope this is the right word, Jonathan. I, I think he made it sacred. There's something sacred about what two or three are. Does like, he mean that humans evolved to be a fellowship, or that like they're little? What is it? What's next to space? Is that the evolution <laughs> of the fellowship? I think yes. Because I mean, humans are social creatures, so in that sense, he's he's correct. But I don't think what they're doing is like in any way necessary or would come about naturally again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I sure hope not. I sure hope. I sure hope generations in the future don't have to put up with whatever the VR version of this bullshit is. <laughs> right, right. And so I, I think that that's another important aspect of this corner of the internet. Yeah. And one of the things that it's been, it's been, interestingly enough, it's also been moving out of the internet, which is something yes. which is positive and not, and not, interestingly too, not moving out in a singular way. No, no. Right? Because it, it could have been something like, you know, some guru or whatever yeah, starts yeah, a thing yeah, and then yeah. he has his group. So that's not what's happening. But that's David Fuller. He is a guru and he has his group, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what they're doing right now. That's David Fuller. You're kind of there. I have. I can see that people in, in the people are going back to church too, but not going back to different churches. People are going back into their churches and trying to and understanding the importance of ecclesia and the importance of, of, of fellowship, and then trying to to re, to create that at a local level too, because it can't completely exist only online. No, no, no. I, and I agree. And I think one of the evidences of the reality of the rediscovery of fellowship and of dialogos is exactly what you're saying. If it just stood, stayed on the internet, I would suspect it's reality. And that's where the practices come in as well. Very much. Sort of the circling or the authentic relating, and yep. there is a sort of conversion. The authentic relating, good job, David Fuller. The authentic <laughs> relating, it's the circling, the authentic relate. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> come on, man. Authentic relating. I can't even imagine like a context in which I would describe what I am doing as authentic relating. Uh, what if you were uh, on the internet talking to gullible rubes trying to get their money? Oh, authentic relating it is. Pointing <laughs> to different practice groups that are maybe kind of becoming interested in a lot of the ideas, but have got maybe the embodied practices of fellowship or connection. Yes. yes. And Breathwork. And Paul Vanderclay as well, who... When I sort of described some of the workshops or practices that I was familiar with, he was like, oh, yeah, that's that small group in church. That's He was kind of basically saying, yeah, we, we've, we've already got that. We don't, we don't need that. We've already got that. <laughs> and, and Paul's setting up of the estuary, like, yeah. like Jonathan said, I think is that's really important. I mean, what is the did he just uh, so describe himself as like an off-brand church? Yes. Okay. Yeah, just, yes. just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, big cult vibes. Uh, I think that was a very apt description. What do we call that? We call that accidental self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Self-awarewolves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, David Fuller, the last, the last like group call that we watched of his was fairly troubling because there were certainly some kind of maybe not necessarily all the way into like cult territory, but like high demand and high control group vibes from it. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all the way into cult territory, but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Cultish. Cultish, yeah. And I don't know that he knows that he just had like a fucking absolute epiphany about himself and what he's doing, but that's what just happened. <laughs>
yeah. an estuary is where uh, salt water and fresh water mix. Yeah. And so the estuary isn't church, but it's a place that's supposed to be where people within the church and people without the church can meet in good faith dialogue. You mean everywhere that isn't the church? Because you meet people every day. You probably run into people every day that if you're out and about, you talk to 20 people. Some of them go to church. Some of them don't. And that's just fucking everywhere that isn't the church. I call it the bus, yeah, the but train. You, you, can't have, you can't have good faith dialogue at Safeway. It's, it's not conducive. There's too much bread around you. <laughs> just too much advertising around there for any of the stuff happening there to be good faith. What you have to do is scare everybody out of the coffee shop. And really, really, where there's, we're not going to secret, we're not here, we're going to convert you, right? There's no secret agenda. And also, there's an expectation of people coming in from the world. We're not in here to sort of, you know, debunk your Christianity. It's no not like, it's, it's like, no, can we enter into genuine dialogos and can we facilitate the formation of fellowship? And then how will that transform us? And then how can, right, people might go into the church, they might not. Uh, people might leave the church. That's also happened with it. Like now they're just talking about being a group and it's like a group for what? This is like, a what do you guys like stand for? They, they don't interrupt each other. They um, are, as he said, they don't question anything that anyone else in the group says. <laughs> it's because they don't say anything. <laughs> And to the extent that they do, somebody's just there to like, somebody's just there to tell them that they're smart and they're, they're, they appreciate the conversation. I don't know. These people, I, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have any friends. And now they're just like, they're just on about how wonderful it is that they can be a group. <laughs> like, yeah, there's groups everywhere. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it wonderful that we can be more than one person? <laughs> And that some of us can do this church activity and some of us don't. <laughs> Let's describe it like an estuary. God, get the fuck out of here. People go back to where they go back home. The thing is, though, if they ran into anybody salty, they'd be hella upset about it, right? So it's not even like an estuary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, what do you call it when freshwater meets freshwater? It's just a river, right? It's just the same river. They're just all floating down the same river. They're going to transfer back and transfer their home life. And that's, that's the important thing for Estuary, as far as I understand. So these are people meeting online or meeting in person? I think both. Project. I think I both. Know both. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they do try to have uh, in-person meetings yeah. as well, yes. that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to raise a criticism that came up as I was, because I completely agree with you about there is a form as well. It's not yeah. just the content, it is the form and it's the yeah. way that these conversations are had. But, I've spent a bit of time kind of dialing into what Peter Lindbergh and I have dubbed the critique sphere, yeah, yeah. which is sort of a group of people who've kind of emerged and I think often have very valid criticisms. Sure. Of oh, shit. Is he going to bring us up? Is he talking about us? Oh, no, he hates me. <laughs> like, he legitimately for a while was tattling on me to a couple people in the critique space. <laughs> for be saying like things that are too mean about him i'm not fucking kidding this guy's skin is so thin <clears throat> i was like i was told these things in in confidence um so i can't tell you who he's tattling on me to and no it's not either of the gurus pod guys i can say it's not either of those guys because that's who everybody immediately probably thinks it is it's not them 
of some of the figures in this space and some of the kind of focus on and one of the criticisms they make is what they call civility porn that a lot of the time like this focus on kind of manners or the way that we interact actually can mask divisions and sometimes kind of difficult conversations are not had or sure, sure. Um, yeah that's one of the criticisms I think is worth raising I think no conversations are had it's not that difficult conversations are had easy conversations aren't even had it's just you guys like jerking each other off mentally right it's it's like <clears throat> yeah that and it, the 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 problem is kind of civility porn but your analysis well, they never, is right they never get to the climax because intellectual edging but your your analysis is more right than whatever like laundered version of the the criticism because he's giving them like a very laundered very watered down version of the kinds of criticism that people have and the idea of civility porn, I had I had uh, Aaron from uh, Embrace the Void on, and we talked a little bit about it. And he kind of, it was, it was of your uh, position that it's not that, it's that nothing gets really said if everybody's so focused on civility that, you know, then nobody hashes anything out because nobody, everybody's like afraid to disagree with, the, with everybody else. Because it would be seen or as a, rude. A, afraid to just make any point. Like no one has made, no one's brought anything of substance up at all in any of these conversations that we've watched. Of the, of the sense makers, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cart before the horse. I think the deep, if you want deep differences to be deeply discussed in a way that might be transformative, there has to be trust. And they, they're not getting, so they're, they're putting the cart before the horse in the criticism. But and that's like, like, that's the other thing that a lot of these people do is they, they, mix up the interpersonal and the public public discourse about important matters you're not it's a who the fuck has the time to build like this massive amount of trust with everybody that they're going to have public discourse with about the issues of the day like it's not that it's the worst idea in the world it's who has the fucking time uh i guess he's saying you can't argue with someone unless you've made out with them <laughs> Lisa in chat just called this guy the milk toast televangelist. <laughs> so I've, I've, we've had a couple people on, we've been, I've been working, doing a little better job of trying to reach out to people, especially for this show. And there's going to be, there was places where I disagreed with Chris Cavanaugh. There was places where I disagreed with Aaron Rabinowitz of embrace the void. And we were actually able to have good conversations about the things we disagreed about. And we didn't have some fucking, we didn't go to like some corporate retreat and do trust falls and shit together before that. It's just that we weren't, <laughs> we weren't, weren't going to be hell mean to each other. Right. Yeah. And like you and I have had disagreements even like on the show and we've talked about it and in general, I'll come over to your side because it's usually about something I haven't thought about very or, much or because it's my show, <laughs> <laughs> but, but. You can do that, but you, you and I have known each other for a very long time, but you could do this with a stranger. You could have a difficult conversation with, about something with someone you met yeah. at a bar. And as long as you're not ready to punch them in the nose, you could even get a little bit heated in the discussion and learn something still. Yeah. Like there's a difference there. There is a real difference between being civil and just doing civility porn. Right. Being civil is wait, trying to wait till someone finishes when you can. It's not waiting till someone finishes at the expense of 
anything happening in the discussion, right? Because <laughs> if somebody's going to talk to you for 20 minutes straight, you got to interrupt them. Especially if they're not saying anything. You got to interrupt them. You don't have to be rude about it. You go, hey, hold on. Let me stop you there because I'm, I'd like to ask a question about what something you just said. Like, but this guy's like, oh, that's putting the cart before the horse to talk about civility porn. And it's like, no, I don't even know what you mean by that, but you're wrong. Like, <laughs> I don't need, you know what this, this sense making shit has shown to me is that I don't even have to know what someone means to know that they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well like if if it were actually true that you know building up layers and layers of trust before you finally get to talking about something of substance if that were actually true that that's the way it should be done then they would have gotten to something of substance by now right because these people were talking for the first what felt like seven years but it was only like seven minutes about how they had built up yeah. these layers of trust. They're like 17 minutes in and they've not said anything. And they've made it very clear that at least the two of them that appear to be on their second date have built up like a lot of trust. <laughs> this is the fourth segment in their video. What were the other segments? And this is going to be my favorite part too, because they're going to, they're going to like talk ad nauseum about why basically we shouldn't criticize them. Right. This is that part of it. It's, it's, it's this one. It's this part of the, the thing, the focus on ridicule. It's going to be this part. <laughs> I guarantee that's what we're, that's what we're coming up, up against here. I really, I don't think that like if, if Fuller brought up a criticism that was like, Hey, there's people out there who think that a lot of this is just people not saying anything. Then I'd have been like, he's, that's us. But I know he's talking about Aaron Rabinowitz yeah. there because Aaron Rabinowitz from um, Embrace the Void talks a lot about civility porn and how it gets in the way of having a real conversation with somebody. Hmm. Not yeah, he should address that. that they're not actually saying anything of, of substance. Debate in our society. That, and if that's the presupposition, that's a ridiculous presupposition. We are inundated and everything has become adversarial. I am not saying we stop that. I, th I think there are, but what, we are, what I'm saying is, no, no, there, there are different needs being met in different ways and we delegate it. If we're gonna do, right, there's proper arenas for, for example, in science, I got a debate. That's part of the job. That's how you do it. That's how it works, right? But if I take, if I take that courtroom model into it, like try and take it into your relationship with your, your significant other, it's gonna destroy it. And you, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and if you get into that protest polka, like Susan Johnson talks about, and this is a therapeutic point, you actually can't get to the differences because people get caught up in the intensity of the conflict and mistake that for the issue that is potentially resolvable. And what you have to do is you have to break out of that. You have to return people to a deep kind of... But this is bullshit. I've had drag out arguments with people that I love and we eventually got to the root of the matter because we were like mad <clears throat> and finally somebody says no it's this and they were never willing to say that shit before and then the yeah. argument fucking stops for a moment <clears throat> because they can't believe they just said it you can't believe they just said it and now it's like right out there where every everybody can fucking see the turd 
Now we know what the turd looks like <laughs> and we can fucking clean up the turd. Yeah. And to the extent that like he would be right in the sense of like uh like an intellectual conversation about some specific topic about like, you know, should we pursue this as policy? Like sure, you might get to the point where the exchanges become too heated and you're not actually talking about policy. But like that doesn't mean that the other extreme is right and you just never talk about the policy because you're just all talking about how wonderful it is that you can sit down and maybe talk about the policy someday. Right. It's like um <clears throat> it's like the it a good a good thing, you know, that's been in the news or whatever, the 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 monarchy is all pomp and circumstance in in um in in the UK and then their parliament is a fucking disaster, right? People are yelling and cheering, but the monarchy doesn't get shit done and the parliament sets policy because the monarchy is just like, Oh, I'm going to give a speech with a giant fucking piece of gold in my hand. And it's all very civil, <laughs> but nothing gets done except maybe some sexual harassment and friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. But you know, and covering that up and mistreatment of the women who date the men. If the people in the, in the organization think they're commoners. Or if they're, you know, a little black. Potential for trust. And then you say, now let's talk about our differences and avoid the protest polka, right? And let's try and do, can we both, let's, 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 let's say, can we bring up the differences? And then is it possible for there to be mutual movement? I, I think some people who criticize me just also forget the fact that I'm Canadian. Uh, uh, and, and right? And so that's. No, we don't. No, 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 no. That's probably, that's, we've, the, the, listen. The Canadians are a lovely people, but they need to stop sending us their intellectuals and their comedians, all right? But for me, that would be my <laughs> deepest reply. They're getting the cart before the horse, and they're, they're presuming that there's a lack of adversarial debate in our culture, and I think that's not. And I think that, and it's funny because if you pay attention to the conversations, you'll realize that some of the differences between us are huge. They're deep. They're very, they're big and they're constantly. Like how long do we have to wait before that happens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you bring up like one example? He's like, I believe in literal demons and he only believes in them figuratively. <laughs> like what the fuck? Like, what, like when is that ever going to happen? <clears throat> yeah, and like maybe have a conversation about that. Instead of having a conversation about wouldn't that be great if we could have that conversation and maybe it'll happen one day. You know who I want to stick like right in the middle of this, right in the middle where David Fuller is sitting is the fucking ghost of George Carlin. Because <laughs> he's not even alive anymore to suffer any like material consequences for the shit he might talk to these people. <laughs> or like even the ghost of drunk Chris Hitchens, whatever that would be like, just stick him right between these two people. Yep. So if you follow them to what that means in terms of what types of uh, solutions you will apply. And so, and, and, and so I don't, I think that, and we are aware of them. We're not pretending, and, but we're saying what, there's no point. We, we, we actually do. We, we, it's like a circle. It's a, a circle is a good way to think about it. So we'll go into that subject a little, like we'll push it, we'll push it, we'll push it. We'll feel the tension. Then we'll move on to and something And what, what do you do in this circle? <laughs> oh no, HK. We'll just let it, just leave, leave that, leave that uh, dangling there. It's like, this is not going to break relationship. Sorry, leave that there at attention. Okay, this isn't over. 
over yet. We have to come back and we're going to discuss it. And so I think that the. You know, I think that a lot of what I'm seeing in this like critique sphere is like they what they would like is they would like to be able to put someone on trial yes. and then just kind of put out all the accusations and what do you say to that, sir? What do you say to this? I mean, that's fine, whatever. That can exist, but I think that that's definitely not a model for a society, and it's not a model for no. That's literally I mean, a model. That's, <laughs> that's literally a model for justice in our society, sir. That that's critique, <laughs> and also that's that's literally how the court system works. <laughs> yeah, in Canada the same as the United States yeah uh, but that's that's what criticism is like you, does does he mean like he just wishes that he could never answer criticism cause like that's fine you can do that too right but just cop to it I mean you don't even have to but we're gonna keep criticizing you then <laughs> Well, to be fair, if he was like, I don't like criticism, we'd be like, ah, then we'd <laughs> showing how there's no winning with us, but we're not the whole critique sphere. About it that way. We're saying one of the things we have is a breakdown in the existence of these intermediary groups. Like we, we don't have communities anymore. Our families are broken. We don't have, uh, we don't have what? churches. We don't have intermediary yes. organizations. We have the state and then we have the, oh, big divorcee energy from this guy now. Not to say everybody talking about. Not to say everybody that got divorced is bad, but I'm just getting big divorced, big divorced guy who's like family maybe doesn't hang out with him energy on the guy on the left now. Yeah, probably because what the fuck is he talking about? And also, if also that's like just a right wing dog whistle about like poor people and black people and their families and shit too. Like, I don't think he means it that way, but that the reason he doesn't mean it that way, because if he did, he would be making some kind of point, even if it was racist. And so I don't think he means it that way because that would I just, it goes against his nature to make a point, even rate, even a racist point. <laughs> uh, but he just, he just said there's nothing in between the state and the individual. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Does he not believe in cities? Well, the city is the state. He doesn't mean like the okay. state like California. He means like the state, like the government. The city might be like, what about like an un unincorporated city? No, no. I mean, he said there's no community. A yeah, city that's is okay. a community. Yeah, a city is a He's basically there's no neighborhood, right? There's no neighborhood anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean. I live in a neighborhood. I do too. Talk to my neighbors. And everything else is being broken down in between. If we want to rebuild something. Maybe no one, maybe, it, I think I have a theory. None of his neighbors want to talk to him. So he does not believe in neighborhoods anymore. I think this is his house and they're like, why did you build a pretentious coffee shop in your living room? And then they never come <laughs> over again. <laughs> That's, that's, oh, this is so crazy. And they're also, they're like way off topic from like the fact that people are crit critiquing them for not saying anything. And they're responding basically to the critique that they don't ever say anything by just not saying anything. <laughs> it's bullshit. So much of, of, of like their, their point, I guess, if they have one, just boils down to like, why is everyone allowed to criticize me? 
everybody means. Because if you, it's the same, if you live in a group and you would take on that critical approach, someone that lives in the same house as you, how long do you think you're going to be living with them? Yes. It doesn't mean that you have to ignore it, but you have to come at it like this, like the cycling of, of, of like the cycling of trust and of questioning. How does he think people live together? In a relationship. People are critical of one another, but they're not like, they like go, hey, when you when you do this, it annoys me, or when you do this, it makes it harder for me to get ready for work, or when you know what I'm saying. Like people do it all the time. Hey, can you do me a favor yeah. and X? People do it all Has the time. Has he never had roommates? God, imagine being this guy's roommate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad enough when he's sober. Imagine this guy like after like six scotches, especially if he like bought really nice scotch. And so he's like swirling it around in the glass while he's like wha waxing about <laughs> fucking nothing. <laughs> but he's like six glasses of scotch in just like with the ice clinking in the glass, just like fucking just talking about how great it is that you could drink scotch with him, but he hasn't even offered you any. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get up to leave and he's like, oh, wait, I got one more thing. <laughs> with the one person it's the same thing you can't always be telling the person their faults and those faults could be completely true like everything i say about my wife if i criticize her could be absolutely true but if that's all i do because i well, you haven't fixed that yet right because i see you haven't fixed it so let's keep talking about it until you fix it it's like that's not a real that's not a reality it's also it's also a pretentious standing point for the critic okay now i i kind of understand what he means here he means that the people who criticize him he only ever sees them criticize him, so he assumes that they just criticize everyone all the time, because right. that's the only behavior he's ever seen from them. Right. He <laughs> would assume that about us, but like, that's, yeah, that's not the case. Like, we obviously don't spend that much time criticizing each other, otherwise we'd just be arguing all the time on the show. Uh, like, <laughs> like, yeah, he... That's such a, yeah, yeah, he, he assumes that because people think he's full of shit, that they just think everyone's full of shit about everything. But it turns out, it hasn't occurred to him that maybe he's just full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason we don't criticize everyone on this show, because not everyone is full of shit. Right, like, not everyone goes around lying and, like, like having these self-aggrandizing, like, it's basically we go after people who are like say false things in a self-aggrandizing way that's like the the target of this show or at least that's what i think the target of the show is and so like so like my neighbor across the way doesn't get a feature on the show because i've never even met them but i assume they don't behave this way because most people don't behave this way <laughs> It's I'm out here and I'm going to do this and what? I'm going to find the criticisms. But where are you standing? Such are you going to come in and actually one of two things will happen. Then you'll allow me to do that to you. And then we'll get to the point of non-negotiable faults that we won't. Right. And, that, and that's what happens when relationships break down or we'll get into I'm, I'm going to actually open up a little towards you. You're going to, and then, then you're going to move towards 
uh, I would argue, if you're going to actually participate, as opposed to taking a pretentious epistemic stance, mm -hmm. then you're going to either move into acrimonious division, or you're going to have to move into something where, you know, yeah. like... like but sometimes Why doesn't he try to participate with the people criticizing him, though? From a group, because... Because they're like, doing Why it, doesn't that road go both ways? They're doing it in bad faith. You know, we've... Either of us would go on that show if we were invited, I think. Yeah. Um, I... W David Fuller would have to communicate with me through some kind of intermediary because he's terrified of me, but yes. And can we say the same of them? I mean, like, he's more popular on the internet than us. Absolutely. But, like, a show just like ours that were equally as popular as his, do you think he would go on that show? Just like ours? No, but he did talk to Chris Cavanaugh of Decoding the Gurus, and he did have Aaron from Embrace the Void on. And those are in our... Okay in our in our realm <clears throat> but we're different like honestly we're different than them um we're a lot different because we're just i mean first of all we we were first <laughs> like we were first here and we're not like academics we're not like philosophers or whatever and uh so it's 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 just a different thing but i don't think that i i would kind of like to maybe i'd I don't know if I want to talk to either of the two people on the end, but I'd like to talk to David Fuller. I definitely uh, don't want I to think talk I'd to rather talk to the two people on the end because they seem to be uh, the most full of shit, but I guess that's just because they've been talking the most. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's you're nailed it. <laughs> oh man their behavior or the things they're saying are completely corrosive to the existence of something. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist, but we should be careful to think that this is, that this is just the manner that you deal with problems or, or questions, that we're not, that, that in our relationships we're not addressing these issues, we're doing it, we're doing it progressively through these cycles of discussion. So I don't, I, yeah, that's what I think. So here's what I would say, I totally agree with that. And what I would say is, we have enough, we, we have enough forces, us, we have enough forces both algorithmic and social, pushing into prominence acrimonious division, right? That we, like, we, it doesn't need to be emphasized. I'm not, it can be needed or necessary. I think we've got an imbalance. So if they think it's civility porn, um, I, I, I think it's trying to address a significant imbalance in the society. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously something I've thought a lot about having tracked a lot of these public conversations, one of which was the idea of the kind of intellectual dark web. Can we have sort of conversations that go beyond ideology that are kind of going somewhere new? But that's not so what I the think, it, Go ahead. I think his point was, oh yeah, well you guys disagree a lot, so we've just made it a point to just never talk about anything we're going to disagree on. Maybe, maybe. Was that his point? I don't know, but his description of the intellectual dark web there was like, we're going to have conversations free of ideology. Like the intellectual dark web was an ideology of its own, right? It was this. Yeah. Like, and it was also full of ideology. <laughs> yeah. It was like this sort of faux centrist anti social justice, anti leftist, like pro sort of. 
I don't know what they were in favor of. Um, uh, calipers, IQ tests. Um, it was this. <clears throat> it wasn't like it. It isn't like wasn't like a blank slate kind of place where different people from the far left to the middle to the far right were having these conversations. Conversations. It was like very much clustered in the center right with a bunch of people who thought that that they were just so fucking smart. And uh, at least Dave Rubin was grossly overestimated in how smart he is by all those people. <laughs> the rest of them, the rest of them, I can see where you could be fooled, but come on. <laughs> Wholeheartedly agree there. <laughs> And it's very difficult when there's a sort of level of prominence, partly, as you say, because of the tools, because of the algorithms, yeah. which on both sides sort of, they, they boost conflict, they boost tribalism, they boost criticism, but they also identify us often with our worst takes or we become kind of, we sort of calcify around our worst opinions in a way yeah. a lot of the time because we sort of are forced to defend them. And, and I also think there was a- But no, you being well, forced- can to, you defend them? Yeah, you being forced to defend your worst opinions is probably how you change your mind about your bad opinions. <laughs> yeah, like if you can't defend it, maybe change it. Right, maybe maybe not right away, but be like, okay, I guess I should probably think about that a little bit. <laughs> like, Yeah, and if it's been like two years and you're like, you know what? I honestly can't come up with a good reason that I believe this. I think you've got your answer. <laughs> right. Just the way that they like are talking about criticism is so weird because if they, they're not really applying this same principle of charity that they want to apply to each other, to the people that are criticizing them in this. And they're not even naming anybody either. People get mad at me for naming the names, right? When I'm like, this person's full of shit, I use their name and <laughs> like, see, so you know who I'm talking about <clears throat> and you can draw your own conclusion about it. They're talking about criticism in the most fucking abstract possible way that you can talk about criticism and then acting like it's bad. But I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, they, are they talking about us? Are they talking about Aaron from Embrace the Void? Are they talking about the guys from Conspirituality? Are they talking about the Majority Report? Are they talking about the fucking Gurus Pod guys? They're talking about Ina from Nice Convert. Who the fuck are they even talking about? Because there's a lot of people who. Or are they talking about just getting dunked on on Twitter? Right? Are they just talking about getting ratioed by somebody with 37 followers who has a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good handle on what the fuck they're doing? Yeah. <clears throat> like, I, you know, it's, I just the more I listen to the way these people talk about criticism, the more I'm willing to stand by sort of one of like the thing that we do that gets criticized the most. And the thing that we do is like name and shame people. And the reason I'm yep. willing to defend it now is because of the first part where you name them. So you know who the fuck we're talking about. Who, who were they at this point? It's, I mean, I figure at the beginning he was bringing up something I've heard Aaron from embrace the void talk about, but it's gone so far afield from that. He didn't say Aaron's name. It's not like Aaron would have got pissed if he would have said, Oh, Aaron from embrace the void was talking to me. And he was saying this, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's just saying the nebulous. They 
It's always the nebulous they that are against the also nebulous us. You know, fill in groups here at, at your pleasure. But there's no tribalism at play, of course. <laughs> As you mentioned, like the sense of safety that's needed to create for these conversations, I think was not created or was not. But wait a minute. What, aren't these the same motherfuckers who were freaking out about a safe space a couple of years ago? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. I mean, not the exact same motherfuckers, but they're in the same orbit, you know? Yeah. Expanded beyond the sort of a, a small number of people. And yeah. like what I think is quite beneficial about the conversation that, that we're part of is it's, it's, a, it's hopefully happened a little bit more underground. Yeah longer to be able to build up some of those relationships of trust not in this kind of like new york times article about all of these new public intellectuals which then kind of creates this yeah. this obvious kind of target and quite right. people were making fun of those people before they stood in front of the plant david <laughs> people were making fun of jordan peterson before he stood in front of the plant i promise should have been a yeah, people were making fun of Jordan Peterson like immediately because what he was saying was just blatantly untrue. And then how he was saying it was also, you know, fun to make fun of. Let's not, I mean, let's not lie. Right. Let's not, let's not pretend that, that some of it wasn't just like straight up making fun of his affect. Yeah. But if he would have been like a nice man who that was his affect, I don't think people would have gone after him. But it also turns out it got worse as he got more and more addicted to benzos and more and more addicted to popularity too. Yep. Kind of safety of the conversation breakdown for various human reasons magnified by the social media kind of platforms that we're using, which bring out the worst in us and augment uh, lack of trust as well. And I think a lot of it is a lot of it is because it happened explicitly on the political level and the political level that is that's what the, that's what that level is for it has it does have a certain amount of debate a certain amount of of you know it's it's the level of conflict that's where the political level that's that's where we have wars we have wars that's also where we get the attention as well so it drags people there because there's such a temptation because that's where you get the responses on twitter that's where you get the but wait a minute david fuller got famous by bringing on people who created conflict jordan peterson eric weinstein brett weinstein those people all create conflict yep so he i don't know what he's talking like he's he's part of the problem. He's like a midwife for some of these people who are creating this kind of conflict <laughs> or like a mob wife. I don't know which take your pick. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange attractor of immense force. The discussion we've been having, they have political corollaries, but they're, they, they don't tend to be focused on politics. We don't tend to, to deal with the recent issue and everything. So we, we, we're trying to kind of talk about the meaning crisis more and about how we can kind of solve that. Uh, and then sometimes we'll say a little bit of politics, but it's not the central thing. And I think that's helped. I think that in the IDW, one of the things that happened, and you can see what it broke down, was it ended up being the political sphere. And like, Oh my God. Yeah, the IDW, it started becoming political. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the whole thing was political from the beginning. It was like the rejection of social justice. It was like its defining feature. The thing that everyone agreed upon was that the SJWs had gone too far. It was like, it was like the Manosphere, but with a PhD. Yep. It, it was immediately political. 
specific political questions that this person is on the wrong side of, or on the right side of, and then I can't associate with them anymore, and so then we criticize each other across, and yeah, then. So. No, it broke up because of, like, I guarantee you, it broke up because of the conspiracy theories. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, Dave Rubin got kind of, kind of um, jettisoned off because it because it, it it took them for a it took them a while, but they all figured out the guy's an idiot, right? They all just figured <laughs> out that he's an idiot. Uh, even Brett and Eric had a conversation about how Dave Rubin's audience had captured him, and then like the rest of it all broke up. It broke up in well, no, Sam Harris just left. Actually, the, he was the only one that broke off because of conspiracism. Now that I think about it, did Joe Rogan break off because of conspiracism? Did Eric Weinstein, um, did Shermer break off? Did Barry Weiss break off? Actually, yeah, but that's kind of what people call as like the the event that killed the IDW. But you're right. I think they just more or less lost relevance. Right, as a group. And some of the individuals, uh, Brett's never, I mean, Brett's back on his way down, but during COVID, Brett had never been more popular. Yeah. <laughs> But that's where, like, his popularity growth is what Sam Harris had a problem with because I don't know why they didn't have a problem before that because some of Sam Harris's politics were pretty different and it seemed just as egregious to me. But I don't know. I guess Sam Harris is not okay with, like, actively spreading misinformation, just passively. Yeah, I think, well, and I, I think, you know, I could, I could see where if you're friendly with somebody, the, that being the place where you go, you know what, that, that, that's it. I'm sorry. That's it. I can see that being the place. If you're like willing to, if you're willing to put up with like, you know, if you're willing to put up with Charles Murray on your fucking show and then willing to go defend him, you've already, you're, you've already demonstrated that, that if you have like a personal affinity for someone that you're going to go pretty far out on a limb with them. So, I mean, if that was the place, that was the place. But the problem I had, the problem I kind of had with it too, was that Sam wasn't willing to just come out straight out and say that this guy's doing demonstrable harm. Like what he's doing is bad. I can't believe that I didn't see the warning signs of this. That would have been like, and I need to examine who I'm spending my time with and who I'm platforming. But that would be too, that'd be too much to ask. (laughs) For Sam to have a decent take on anything. Yeah, yeah. I think first the attempt to shift the sacred into the political arena has been a significant mistake. Um, what does that even mean? That politics- the sacred into the political arena? Is that what he said? So is he for separation of church and state? I don't know. <laughs> and it can't incorporate a lot of the other stuff that I think is central to meaning making. Um, and I do worry also, like I said, um, I've said to you before, I worry about, um, you know, the hermeneutics of suspicion being considered the default mode in, in which we approach reality. And the hermeneutics of suspicion uh, prioritizes uh, de- devastating criticism, right? So the, the, the devastating criticism that knocks the person down or reveals the secret flaw. I mean, aha! And it's like, okay. Uh, you do need to do that because there are people that should be knocked off their high horse. I'm not saying that, but but just not me. Again, <laughs> why not also present what the hermeneutics of, of suspicion always depends on, which is the hermeneutics of beauty? Right? It's not the case. It, it, like 
We maybe okay. pull apart the because oh. I think this is a great concept. We've we've talked about it on the channel, but maybe people watching yeah, sure. this won't be so, familiar with it. So this is uh, an idea from Ricoeur, and the Hermeneutic suspicion is basically sort of given to the West by you know by Marx, by Freud, by Nietzsche. It's the idea that you know there's all un underneath it there's always a secret agenda, a hidden motive. No, that's conspiracism. And there's a lot. <laughs> Or the unconscious, or the class struggle, or the will to power. Yeah. But those aren't, no, no, no. That's not a secret agenda. The class struggle, or people's will to power, that's, those aren't secrets. <laughs> those are public agendas. Right. The will to power is like, one of the, like, the oldest ideas in philosophy is that, like, power will corrupt people. Like, that's, like, one of the oldest, like, it's axiomatic, and everyone knows about it. This is the opposite, like... <laughs> the will to power is not a secret. Yep. What the fuck? Come on, man. <laughs> or some systemic oppression, right? Uh, this is what you're doing. Maybe it was yeah, yeah. revelatory to him. Like, these things that he's talking about are all, like, in the public discourse. None of it's a secret. The manifest and the latent Weber made a distinction to bureaucracies are set up to do this. This is their manifest function, but they have this latent function. So there's a, you can see many thinkers coming to this. And, and the hermeneutic suspicion is based on this idea that appearances are distracting, they're distorting, they're misleading. Um, and um, what you want to do is you want to you break through. Now the problem, and this is a point that Merleau-Ponty hammers. I believe the saying goes, appearances are deceiving. Looks can be deceiving is actually the saying. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, looks can be deceiving. That person looks nice and then they punch you in the face. Well, I guess they're not very nice, at least not to you. But yeah, um, that's, that's, not a, that's not an uncommon... That's not something that's uncommon knowledge. Like, we have a saying for it. Right. So, yeah. These are, what a, <laughs> what a weird thing to, like, what a, I can't, the obvious being presented as novel is another, like, through line with these people. Yep. Right, phenomenology of perception, and uh, you know uh, the visible and the invisible, and like you can only realize something's an illusion in comparison to something else that you take to be real. Wait, and what? what? So what that means is there are you have to say no, no. I mean, you okay. have to have re you have to have reality to know what isn't reality, I guess. But that's like saying you have to have water to know what isn't water. <laughs> Yes, you have to know what something is to know what it isn't. That is correct. <laughs> like, what the fuck? The, the, what is he saying? The hermetics of suspicion? He's probably doing a great disservice to like a, like a decent way to like sense make. <laughs> like, yeah, you should be, able, what is it? Trust, but verify. That's, that's slightly suspicious, right? The idea of trusting, but verifying. Yeah. In order to say that turned out to be illusion, I know that because look, I can't touch it, right? And the touching is real, right? And so, 
what do you, what, what's going on when you say it's real? I, I'm not trying to do the metaphor. What do you think David Fuller's writing right now? What you're saying is, no, no, there are times <laughs> when the appearances aren't distracting or distorting or deceptive. They're actually disclosing of reality. And I take that to be at least the ancient. The aha moment. An aha moment. And I take that when, when appearances Wait, do that for You had an aha moment because you also realized that if you observe something, it, it could be descriptive of the reality? That's not an aha moment. That's called looking at something. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I think, his, I think his aha moment was realizing that just because he saw something it doesn't necessarily mean that what he thinks he saw is what he saw or maybe maybe it's a but dig like, at the this guy, guy who believes th in demons no the other guy believes in demons maybe it was a dig at the demon guy oh okay <laughs> good natured jabbing <laughs> um that that's what the ancient at least the so maybe the other guy hasn't realized that yet the hermeneutics of beauty actually is primary and the hermeneutics of suspicion is completely parasitic on it. And what I'm critiquing is the wait, imbalance, what? right? I'm saying, no, 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 we should also be doing a lot to exemplify. But wait a minute. The, the, okay, so you can be like, that's beautiful, but I don't think you painted that. <laughs> right? If your friend never painted a goddamn thing in the world and then they show you the Mona Lisa, you're like, that is a beautiful painting. You didn't make that. <laughs> so... <laughs> In fact, I, I know put what in that some is. text on Dolly Mini, okay? I know what that is. That's the fucking Mona Lisa. Like, <laughs> why do you have... Wait, that's the original. Are you... <laughs> I gotta call somebody, I think. This is illegal. Also, why are you holding that gun and wearing that because ski mask? In, in, in that manner, I want to challenge the prioritization, the implicit and almost unchallenged, uncriticized assumption that the hermeneutics of suspicion is the way in which we should move through the world. And the, the idea that the hermeneutics of beauty are primary, this is, I mean, this is not just a statement that John is making. This is actually the manner in which you engage with your daily life every day, yes. all the time. Yes. When you walk out on the street and you don't think it's going to break apart, when you pick up a glass and it's holding the liquid in it, yes. you are No, no, no. That's not the hermetics of beauty. It's not beautiful that your glass doesn't break when you fucking pick it up. That means somebody figured out how to make a glass. I would hate to live in a world uh, where I was suspicious I of every glass in my fucking cabinet. <laughs> like, how <laughs> fucked up would that yeah. be? Um, like, it's... You don't... You don't do that for everyday objects because you have no reason to believe that everyday objects are an illusion. <laughs> Until one day they fucking are. And then you're like... Okay, I guess my glass can be an illusion now. Well, maybe, and maybe somebody tricked you or whatever, but then maybe because they tricked you, you learn something cool, right? Like if the, it, it, it's not bad, right? If, if you're like, oh shit, there's not even a glass there. It's a hologram. Holy shit. You're like, how'd you do that? Where's the hologram? And then, then somebody's like, ah, oh, that's my hologram. Let me show you how this works. And then you learn something. <laughs> then you're, yeah. but then you can't, just because that happened, you're not going to go around assuming like, the waiter like the fucking food server brings you a brings you a cocktail you're like sir that might be a hologram <laughs> i demand you prove that that is real <laughs> oh my god
Hermeneutics of beauty. Trust. It's just trust. Yeah. It's just the idea that what is being disclosed to me, the, the appearance of it, is revealing what is true about it. And this is something which is which is actually the actually fuel for your life. Exactly. You can function without it, and it is the fuel for everything that's good and that makes you feel alive. So although it is true that sometimes there are appearances can hide what is behind it. As John said, we have to remi remind people that the primary mode is this hermeneutics of beauty. And if you engage with it that way, and if you also, because one of the problems with the hermeneutics of suspicion is that if you engage others with that hermeneutics, the position in which you're in is a position from which you'll not, you won't receive anything from the person in front of you, because I already figured you out. I f this is as good a place as any to stop this. So, th <laughs> and we're going to watch a little more of this during the post game, but we actually are going to go to part two. We watched some of part two of like a month ago, like during the post game. So we're going to get about halfway through to part two in the post game here and see if they're even saying anything. But I got to tell you these two things that they're talking about. First of all, these can't possibly be the only two ways to look at the world is just beauty and suspicion. But if let's say that these are like two, let's say that these are the two big ways to do it. I'm going to present, an idea to you is that these two things would be in a push pull at all times in everyone's mind because they would have to be. <laughs> I couldn't see it working any other way. Yeah. But you can't just, you can't break everything down to beauty and suspicion. That's stupid. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to. You're leaving out like fun things like surprises. <laughs> because you like, if you were like a surprise, you would be like, actually, I'm glad I wasn't hyper suspicious because well, it depends. Was it a good surprise? Like a surprise party? Ooh, I bet nobody ever throws <laughs> the glass it. wasn't actually there, but it's a magic you, trick, but that, that's a surprise, but it, that's good. Yeah. And when you... Wow, and, how'd you do that? And, like, oh, a lot of skeptics love going to magic shows. We know there's no magic. We just think it's yeah. cool. <laughs> like, I bet you go to a magic show and it's going to be, like, skeptics are going to be, like, overrepresented in the audience. Because Probably, it's, yeah. it's fucking cool. Because it's somebody's tricking you and they're doing it on purpose and they're telling you beforehand that they're going to trick you and it's still awesome. Yeah. And the magicians are skeptics too. So Gen generally, I mean, yeah, usually. <laughs> and so like everybody's yeah. in on the thing and the most suspicious people in the world are there to view the beauty of a magic show. So it just blows this whole, <laughs> this whole fucking paradigm away. Like this guy's shit, it just yep. blows it all away because everybody there knows it's not real. And it's just, if, if it's a good magic show, it's fun as fuck. There's yep. comedy, there's music, there might be dancing, there's performance art. Like, and it just blows away this guy's whole paradigm. Because the beauty is in, like, the suspension of the, su of the suspicion, even though you know it's fake. Yeah, and maybe there's a sense of danger, and the sense of danger is what you like. Or, yeah, or you're just, maybe you're just there because maybe you're just there because it's your friend's magic show, and he expects his friends to show up. I don't know. <laughs> Who fucking knows? But like, this is 
that was just such a that's such a dumb way to look at things and i i'm just like really disappointed that these people are like considered to be like intellectuals i don't think i should be considered an intellectual i, I actually kind of reject the idea of like measurable intellect anyway but if we need to do better as a society if we're going to prop up people as being hella smart we need to do a little bit better and i suggest we start with propping up the magicians i agree <laughs> fuck yep all right hk you want to read the show out yes we do this show every wednesday at 7 p.m pacific uh if you want to check out our other shows check out echoplexmedia.com and if you want to support us it's patreon.com slash echoplex and if you are here live on Twitch, we'll see you on the other side of this song for Red Light. This is Boomers by Periscope.
Hey, this is the Councilman, inviting you to tune in for Down Ballot, live every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Echoplex Media, or on your favorite podcatcher. Get the dip on local derp from the folks who know it best, us. And don't forget to stay tuned for local love. Down Ballot, because all derp is local. <laughs>